0: Hey guys, it's Michael James Wong, founder of Just Breathe. And before we start today's podcast, a quick heads up on the new Just Breathe app. It's simple and easy to use with guided meditations, music, and soundtracks created and recorded specifically to calm the mind and ease the body. And now with the ability to customize the length of your practice. We've literally put the power of mindfulness in the palm of your hand, and even more, it's free. We've created this app as a way to support our growing community And whether you're a regular meditator or it's brand new for you, know that just breathe is for anyone and everyone ready to step into a quieter conversation.
1: Hi, I'm Holly Rubin. I'm a psychotherapist, mental health practitioner, body image specialist, and your host of Tough Love. So how do you see yourself when you look in the mirror? Or more specifically, how do you feel about how you look? Each week, I'll be looking into this concept, asking extraordinary women about their ever-evolving relationship with body image and how their experiences have shaped who they are today. From the world of motherhood to disability and everything in between, these are the women on a mission to change the relationship that women have with their bodies. Welcome to Tough Love. Today's guest is the totally amazing Gina Martin. The victim of upskirting who fought back to change the law with absolutely no prior political experience after 18 months of tireless campaigning gina succeeded in making upskirting a criminal offense and ultimately making our country safer for women and girls gina is the definition of a modern activist packed with energy and ambition and has always been so open and honest about her relationship with her body bodies in general that I couldn't wait to chat to her. Today, we'll discuss sexuality and femininity and the role that they play in body image. Welcome, Gina.
2: Hi, thanks Hi. for having me. Thank you lovely so much. a introduction. So kind. Well,
1: tell, oh, tell us all about it. Let's expand on
2: that. God, where do we start? It's been like two mad years of all this work. Um, yeah, I am an activist. I only really started calling myself that like four months ago when I started doing media because it was like I had to have a name for it. And I don't really know if I knew what I was doing was activism or just shouting about something because I was really angry about something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it started in t- July 2017 when I was at a festival uh, in Hyde Park, British summertime, and I was with my sister waiting for the killers to come on stage. And a group of guys who were hitting on me, well it was one guy but there was a whole group who were being a bit kind of, what's the word, inappropriate and like sort of making jokes and stuff. And this one guy was hitting on me and me and my sister said no a whole bunch of times and got very annoyed by it by the end because it was just relentless. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he made a really gross joke, a uh, really sexual gross joke. And I kind of said something back to him. And then to punish me, he took photos of my skirt on my crotch with his phone, took his hands between my legs, I saw my skirt, um, just standing there waiting for his bantam on stage and he did that without me knowing. And then I saw there was a guy standing in front of me, one of the group, and I kind of reached, because I could tell he was laughing. You know, you can hear mm-hmm. people of laughing. You're like, mm, so what's going on here? I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. Mm-hmm. So I kind of looked around, and he was on WhatsApp, and he'd been sent this photo, so he'd sent it to all of his mates. And I like grabbed the phone. We got into a bit of a scuffle, mm. and then a bunch of people in the crowd helped me get away, and I ran through the crowd to the police with the phone, and the guy chasing me, And managed to handle that stuff in. And the police were like, oh, that's. I'm really sorry. It's awful, but there's nothing we can do about it. And I found out it wasn't a sexual offence in England and Wales, but it had been in Scotland for a decade. Huh. And that's why I basically started a social media campaign and then got really serious and got a law firm on board and kind of went to the government and lobbied them for two years and then changed the law in February. So it was quite a... I mean, short shortest version of that story I've ever told, <laughs> but <laughs> quite a stressful and um, unbelievable thing to have done yes. in terms of the work. Like, it was... Like, I had a full-time job the whole time, and it was totally relentless work. It was unbelievable. But yeah. interestingly, all that came from losing my body autonomy in a moment and being very angry about the fact mm-hmm. that that happens often. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the straw that the camel's back. So I guess a lot of my work actually is very um, inextricably, inextricably linked mm-hmm. to... Um, feminism but more importantly our bodies and our rights that we have or don't have over our bodies and that's kind of where it came from originally absolutely and just listening to you how
1: brave of you to have I know you said you you told it very quickly but I'm just imagining it all happening as you're saying it how brave of you to have been able to act like that right on the uh, an impulse that you felt and how angry that made you feel and rightfully so of course yeah. how how did that all sort of unfold for you that you were able to act on that
2: I think for years I did, I haven't like for years of things happening like my mom being smacked in a club mm. or a security guy in Leeds grabbed my boobs see if I was wearing a stab-proof vest and like all this stuff that like weird stuff that I write in the book has like happened throughout being mm. a woman mm. and I've always just froze or laughed it off and mm. been like because oh, okay, I'm scared mm-hmm. and I'm intimidated mm-hmm. and I'll be totally honest and say I had had a couple of gins mm-hmm. at the festival <laughs> and that really helped me out quickly <laughs> um but more importantly I was really angry yeah and just I think it was a culmination of things it was the fact that it was the first time me and my sister had actually hung out we would really wanted to go to the festival we couldn't afford it mm. uh we forked out 85 quid or something for like you know four-hour thing yeah and it was a really special day. Yeah. Like, it was like, oh, this is the first time I get to actually hang out with my sister when we've worked so hard. We've been through some really he- heavy stuff in the past few years. We wanted to see this band since we were t- 10 years old. Mm. Never found the time. And it was like, not, no, not today. Like, this doesn't happen yeah. this time. Like, okay, fine. I've done it for 10 years, but this isn't happening again. I'm done with this shit happening again. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry mm. um, It's hard not to. Mm. Um, so I think I was just really, like, immediately incredibly angry. Yeah. And that's why I acted that fast, I think. Yeah. Well it was important for you, yeah. and they you know that I guess it sounds like it was
1: uh, taken away from you by yeah. that mm-hmm. yeah by that happening what if if you can talk a little bit to the point of you, you said initially about the that part of your body sort of being you know intruded upon, if you will yeah. what what can you talk to me about what body image means
2: to you? Um, yeah, I think. The problem I have with being a woman, and I love being a woman, and it's a lot easier for me than it is for a lot of marginalised genders, but I really struggle with the the fact that just by dint of being a woman, my body isn't actually necessarily mine. And I really struggle with how it's legislated against, how it's talked about, how it's presented, how I've grown up seeing it as public property and seeing women's women's bodies as public property seeing people sell burgers with a pair of boobs, like any of that is related. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very difficult to, I, th- I don't think my body image is necessarily, Um. what's the word? Not, I'm, I'm as an individual, I've got quite a healthy yeah. body image, but I don't think us as women are, the way we look and treat our bodies comes from ourselves. I yeah. think it is so heavily influ- influenced and conditioned by society that I don't feel like we even really know how we feel about our own bodies. And that's, for us to be in that default position is a massive problem. Yeah. Because that leads to so much negative and mental health problems and bad conversations and situations like this with the upskating thing, with the way we react to stuff. We don't have autonomy over our bodies. In that moment, mine was very obviously and overtly taken away because it was mm-hmm. taking photos of and someone, other people I owned it were looking mm-hmm. at it and I didn't consent to that. Mm-hmm. So that's a very overt example of mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But in general, there's an underlying problem that we don't really have ownership of our own bodies uh, in general and that really upsets me yeah yeah and again rightfully so there's
1: what i'm hearing you talk about is this um a real overarching societal message around um how women are meant to relate to their bodies that Mm. their bodies are not necessarily their own that there's legislation and there's all kinds of um unconscious also messaging around what it means um and it's making me think of ideas where bodies are intruded upon all the time and uh, even a you know pregnant woman will say time and time again that i don't know why this has to be but if i'm pregnant people feel the need to touch me they need yeah people to entitled be, to your body entitled to your body yeah and do you, do you remember a time in your childhood where that was crystallized for you? Do you remember several? Yes, you do? I
2: do. I remember specifically growing up, because I developed very late, so I looked about 12 until I was like 17. You're tall. I looked. And now I'm tall, yeah. but I was always very tall and thin. My dad said I looked like a rubber chicken, because <laughs> so I was like this tiny, thin thing, until I was like 16, 17. And I didn't grow boobs or develop until very, very late. I didn't give a period until I was like 16. Hmm. Um but that meant that I always looked very young until in a, in, a, in a class of girls who didn't necessarily. And when I got 16, when I was already aware of myself to an extent, you know, when you're 16, you feel about 19. You're mm-hmm. not your baby, but you feel like you, mm-hmm. you are a lot older than you are. Mm-hmm. I remember turning, in the year that I turned 16, when I got my a period and I started to develop, the difference in how men looked at me on the street. Like I remember, I remember noticing it, like overtly noticing it. And with, there's, Family. You know, like, every family has, like, a weird family member who you're like, I'm not related to. Not Only one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, a weird uncle, and you're like, oh, God. Like, that he he started to act differently around me. Not like, no one would be able to notice it, but you could just tell.
1: But you noticed it. Yeah, it, it was yeah. like,
2: I write right in the book, it was, like, almost as if, like, men's eyes deepened a bit when they looked at me. or I was like, oh, there's a kid. And then it was like, oh, there's a young girl, a young woman. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily anything always... Um, unsettling or, or necessarily abusive or mm-hmm. violent or anything it was just I could tell they looked at me differently when I developed mm-hmm. and I remember but at the age that I developed at 16 like I was still a kid and I think I really I, I mean I talked to my friends about it at the time and my friends were like yeah I know I mean I know no, but it's a compliment blah, well and there was all that stuff when you were a kid like someone would catcall you and you'd be like it's a compliment like yeah. what an unguided weird thing for us to think and that shows the conditioning at a very early age yeah. but I just remember thinking like I'm 16 years old, like I'm still, I'm still really young and I'm feeling uncomfortable with grown men who are 40, 45, 50 looking at me. And that was a really, that was the first example where I was like, oh, is, oh, this is strange. And if I look back, I was, if I applied my own thinking to that age, I would have been like, oh, this is what it's gonna be like now. Mm-hmm. That's really worrying because I'm a baby at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting that you were able to notice that at the time and then look back, looking back I'm on very it now. i had very progressive parents. Yeah. Like How- very feminist dad very feminist small. and I think that's why I as growing up I, I was able to evaluate things in a way that maybe I would have done later on in my life because I mean when I got my period my mum and dad were like so happy and excited and they celebrated And my dad took me to buy like, loads of tampons and it was like the best thing in the world you know and that's at 16 so there was like a very there wasn't mom's problems, there wasn't dad problems, there wasn't like, go to your mom to talk about that. Like, I got, when I first grew boobs, I was like, dad, I've got boobs. I'm having this new bra on. And I was like, look at my bra. And he was like, it looks great, it fits perfectly. I was like, yes. So it was like a very, it was a very healthy, great family life. So I think that's maybe why I got to evaluate those things in that way. Mm-hmm. And also why you say that,
1: you know, with respect to your body that you were, you know, comfortable in it exactly. for yourself.
2: Totally, yeah.
1: It's just when other people began to gaze or you felt that you picked that up. exactly. Have you ever doubted your body?
2: Oh yeah, constantly. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very natural, unfortunately, very natural default position. Um, I'm very lucky to have very, very good mental health as a person. Um, I a lot of people close to me don't. I have acute a understanding of what the reality of that is because people who are very close to me for years have struggled with that, in big ways with that. Um, I have very good mental health, so I, I think that is reflected in the way I I can evaluate or work out my behaviour. So, like, if I will look in the mirror and be like, and I do constantly, you know, I just, like, hate my stomach or whatever, you know, constantly women always have these things that we pick apart, we pick apart mm-hmm. so consistently. Mm-hmm. I do that too. Um, but I think I'm lucky to be able to try and put space between me and that. And also, I've, I've tried to, the, he, the voice inside my head that's like, oh, this is a problem, or you don't look like this, or this, this is gross, whatever, that I listen to all the time. I've really tried in the last two years to recognize that as not my voice, but like society's voice and be right. like, that's actually not my voice. It's in my head, but I'm trying to separate myself from it and be like, as soon as I can other it and be like, okay, well, that is actually me. I'm not telling myself these things. It's, I've been told that my whole life through mm-hmm. the media. And I'm, and that has come from a different place. It, it kind of feels easier to separate myself from, but I'm really critical of myself. Mm-hmm. And I think all women are. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to push past that. Yeah, it is. But it's also really good that you're able
1: to um mm. distinguish that there that other voice is isn't yourself and mm. that that is societal messaging that's being passed down and that um we do pick that up but by you separating it y- you can be healthier towards yeah. yourself on that I, I do your... it really works but maybe <laughs> I
2: yeah. guess I'll find out in five years if it's working <laughs> yeah, it seems to be working
0: hey guys Don't forget to check out what else is going on in the Just Breathe community. Now if you're in London, join us as we bring hundreds of people together for our cultural events, mass meditations, and grand gatherings. Or join our intimate monthly quiet clubs for an evening of community, connection, and quiet. Just Breathe is a place where everyone is welcome and everyone belongs. Now if you're not in London, don't worry, there's more events coming soon all over the world. So check out the website to find out more, and see some highlights from our past events, and of course, the details for what's coming up soon near you. Visit JustBreatheProject.com and join the community on Instagram at JustBreathe.
1: I think it's interesting that you talked about not realizing that what you were doing, in, in fact, and in essence was activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's probably the best way that it comes about when, we, when we're acting so authentically and we're doing something right in the moment because we have a feeling that something needs to change and something needs to be different. It sounds like that's what you did. Um, Can you talk to that a little bit more? And and I know that you've just written a book and how did that all sort of come about?
2: So, yeah, that was exactly just two, I guess it was 18 months of just doing the work and not um, really labeling it as anything just because I was so passionate about it but at the very beginning of the process when I decided I was going to change the law which when you look back when I look back is like what a mad thing to try and think when you've got a full time job and I did I I thought I'd just give it a go like I'll just give it a go I probably won't be able to do it but I'll see what happens Um, the first thing I did because I have no political or law law, legal experience I'm not academic straight scraped by through school in terms of academia like I'm not I'm creative Worked in advertising as an art director Um, yeah and I have I really struggle with anything academic, if I'm honest, apart from writing, English has always been my thing. Um, but I um, I googled, I sat at home and I googled, like, how, how do you change the law? And obviously nothing came up, because what, like, obviously it wouldn't. Um, and I was like, okay, I have to do this myself. So I started looking into, like, reading a lot of articles and long-form pieces and, like, websites that were about the political process and, like, the legal process, and then things about activism in general and, like, Going to the status quo and all this stuff, but it was all very hard to read. And it was all very like jargony. And none of it, I wasn't looking for a one size fits all, this is how you change the law from A to Z. Like I knew that wasn't going to exist, but there was nothing that said, okay, here's how you use social media to like activate people, here's how you write press release, mm-hmm. here like none of that stuff, nothing mm-hmm. practical. Mm-hmm. And I, I muddled through and obviously worked it all out, and in the end, happily managed to do it. But just before the law changed in February, so in December, end of 2018. Well, yeah, 2018. I was like, we're in 2019 now. Um, in December 2018, I was like, wouldn't it be great if I could put everything I'd learned into one place that's just really easy to read and like dead readable? And like, how do you deal with really high pressure meetings? How do you start an awareness campaign online? We all know social media is powerful. We think of it as this nebulous thing, but actually, there's a science to it. I work in digital advertising, like. It's a numbers game. Mm-hmm. It's it's, a, it's mathematical. Um, yeah. How do I know what content works best on what platforms? How do I know how to cross-pollinate content? Like, no one... You can't go anywhere and find that information for some reason. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, so let's put all that stuff down. Let's talk about um, great activists who have done great work, new activists who are doing stuff now and how they're doing it. Why everyone, why young people are so engaged in politics now when they weren't, you know, 30 years ago. What, what identity politics means. Mm-hmm. And just, like, really get a supportive... Exciting place to start. but by the time you finish reading it, you'd be like, "Oh, I can do that too." Mm-hmm. Because I'm especially bored of seeing people who do quote-unquote remarkable stuff being held up as like, you know, a remarkable per- perfect person. It's there's a lot of offers for me since the law changed that are things. That I've turned down because I don't really want to be held up as this like feminist I mean, icon of a generation because although that's a lovely label and yes sure fine that's nice a lot of people can take that off me and do that a lot better hmm. the whole point of this is that I'm a regular person who didn't know what the hell I was doing for most of it and I just worked really hard yeah. and if we just talked about that more yeah. instead of like I knew there was something wrong and I went out there and I nailed mm-hmm. it you know like that's not helpful we need to see people who we th- who we can relate to doing the stuff we don't think Absolutely. we can relate to so that we can know we can do those things. Absolutely. So this is what the book is. And yeah. and it's really interactive. And, and there's loads of, okay, write down these four the four things you can't stop talking about when you've had two espresso martinis because those, those are the things you obviously care about. And you're like, no, you, I used to be like, you don't get it. Like, the male gaze is so insidious. Everyone will be like, Gina, shut up. Like, <laughs> talk about something else. You know, the things you can't stop talking about. Yeah. The things that, like, light soul on fire. Write those down. Now let's break those down into forty one sections. Now let's get really focused on what issue you could change. Now go and do research. Now come back. Like, a supportive place that you can go to. And I didn't have that at the beginning. And I'm a big believer in people creating thing they needed. So that's what the book is. It's really what I could have used and probably mm. would have helped me at the beginning. <laughs> um, and I'm really proud of it
1: yeah it it sounds fantastic i can't wait to get my hands on it um but it's it's super interesting just listening to you because i had well i had a snippet of that in that i was working with um, an NGO called endangered bodies and um, my mentor Susie orbach who brought me into literally westminster and we were on a um a APPG group on body image there. And huh. it was my first introduction to politics and what that meant and politics in the UK versus politics in Canada and how that was all different. And I remember looking around and being like, oh my God, how am I here? Like, yeah. I'm just a regular person. How am I brought into this? And and then what are we going to do with that? Right. Because there is that privilege of being somewhere and then being able to do something with yes. it and empower other people who are just, again, regular people and, how do we get people to do more of this? And that's where that that's where the activism piece comes in. You don't even necessarily realize you're doing it, but um, but if it's coming from your heart and if it's coming from a passion, which certainly did for you, and coming from something that you knew was wrong, also, yes, yeah. I guess that's what happens, right? Yeah, so.
2: totally. And that's really funny that you said about looking around and being like, "How am I here?" Because it really interestingly, like, I mean, politics as in big P politics, as in people in Westminster. That is set up for a certain type of person. Yes. That exists for privileged white middle class men and they feel very comfortable there. And I did not feel comfortable there just being a young woman and was, I mean, the first time I went in with Ryan, my lawyer, to the reception, well, not the first time, no, we'd been going in for like four months, but the receptionist, I was standing at the reception and Ryan was like, 10 feet behind me and she like totally ignored me and looked over at Ryan and was like who's she meeting for and he just pushed me forward and was like it's her meeting she's standing mm-hmm. right there like it but it was like that all the time and I didn't it, I didn't fit in there I was an anomaly there and that's me as a middle class I mean I'm working class but mm-hmm. I have a middle class mm-hmm. existence now mm. as a middle class white woman being in those spaces mm-hmm. still feeling like that so I a friend of mine is in binary and they're going in there and they are so an anomaly and like the barriers they're going to have yeah. is just unthinkable yeah And when I was standing to go into the house for one of the uh, stages of my build, this guy walked behind me and Ryan and he looked around and that place is so ornate and so decadent, isn't it? And they walk in with the gold staff and there's just like statues of men and it's just like Hogwarts on acid. like Mm. It's unbelievable. And um, he walked behind me and he went, I just heard, you know, you hear something about someone's conversation. He went... Oh, this reminds me of my university. And I was like, where the hell did you go to school? Like, these It's only a certain type of yeah. person now. And that's yeah. very difficult to push past in terms of confidence, I think. Absolutely. Really it is. But you feel a sense of duty, like you said. Okay, well, I'm here and I have this now, so I have to use this properly. Yeah.
1: And so many people don't, right? Yeah. So, and maybe that's part of it too, that when it isn't your world and you have that privilege of going into it, then maybe there's even more excitement around using it and
2: knowing that you have that to do something. Yeah, um, Cause you have a, an ex- a lived experience and you understand other people's experiences that maybe the people who have existed in that space for that long, just don't. So you see, you have, you can see by certain coin, I guess yeah. you can see how important it is to, to use that.
1: Definitely. And I think it sort of brings us back to the, also the conversation around mental health, right? Which is something that I've been working in for 25 plus years, but I, Also, have lived experience too around having people around me with challenges. Mm -hmm. So, when you have that personal experience, when you have that personal um, relationship, I think that's part of where that passion comes from. This is a fun one for you. Let's imagine you're missing. You've gone missing. Oh my God. How would you describe yourself? To a stranger.
2: Oh shit. Physically. What I'd have to, wouldn't I, yeah. I can't no. be like, she loves eggs, no one's <laughs> not gonna know how to find me. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'd say five I'd say five eight, mid-length, light brown hair, scar on your scar on her chin, uh, tattoo tattoos wrist tattoo, arm tattoo, um, slim build, long legs and big cheeks and you can find me from my cheeks most of the time because my cheeks are visible before I am most of the time and um, probably wearing something bright coloured and being being very loud if she can because I think that's how I'd get away with would be being like alerting everyone to where I was hopefully. That's a good description. Yeah Love, love, put that yeah, that I love that
1: super super interesting well i, I mean any f- just final thoughts in terms of how brave and courageous and fantastic it was for you to have stepped out of that comfort zone and to have really pursued this so i'm so i feel really privileged to be able to just have had the conversation with you so thank so you
2: kind. thank you for having me It's a a lovely chat.
1: Good. I look forward to following you and hearing all the wonderful things that you're going to now do with the book and the place that you've gotten yourself to. Oh, thank you. I really hope that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed interviewing these amazing women and really having a conversation that is so important. See you next time as we talk tough love and the radical views that shape who we are. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe.
0: Don't forget to download the Just Breathe app, available on all Apple and Android devices. And for easy updates for what's coming up in the community, follow us on Instagram at Breathe or online at JustBreatheProject.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and see you next time.